Hello and welcome to Very Excellent Habits, the podcast that helps you create little habits for a big life. I'm Carly Jacobs, writer and mostly sensible habit maker. This week's episode inspiration comes from the listeners. I get heaps and heaps and heaps of requests for episodes around gardening, growing your own food, and specifically doing doing so in different kinds of environments because, you know, not everyone lives on a giant acreage. Funnily enough, we do actually live on two acres here at our house, and we are slowly getting into growing and producing our own food. Most of our neighbors do it, so it's kind of the done thing around here. I know that over the last few years, a lot of us have had to look at our food supply chain with really honest eyes and realize that some things need to change. Here are, as usual, some sobering statistics for you to kick off this episode on a rather merry note. These statistics come from Food Bank Australia and they are a bit alarming. So 7.3 million tons of food is lost or wasted every year while 5 million Australians go hungry. 17% of food available to consumers in 2019 went into the waste bins of households, retailers, restaurants, and other food services. So that's 17% of all the food produced just ended up in the bin. The average Australian family throws away $3,800 worth of groceries per year. $3,800. That's so much money. Like you could go on a small holiday or like buy a really cheap car with that amount of money. The average Australian household sends roughly 4.9 kilograms of food waste to landfill each week. That's about, you know, the size of a baby that's a couple of weeks old. 75% of all food that is sent to landfill comes from our households. So all of the food that we see in landfill, 75% of it comes from our own houses. So all of that stuff aside, it's not even the waste of the food that's the most pertinent issue. It's the wasting of the resources to grow that food. So I found out literally today that it takes 50 liters of water to produce one single orange, not to mention the time and the labor and the miles it has to travel to make it to your house in the first place. So all of that aside, before we jump into this episode, remember this is just all about best effort. I literally threw out a bag of lettuce slime yesterday and I compost. I have my own worm farm. We've started growing a lot of our own vegetables. This isn't about you making me feel... (laughs) Let me try that again. This isn't about me making you feel bad about the draw of green slime in your fridge. It's about having a chat about what we're doing and how we can make conscious and manageable changes. And also me admitting that I also have a draw of green slime in my fridge and that that's something that I would like to work on. On that note, this week's guest is Hannah Maloney of Good Life Permaculture. This is her, her and her husband design permaculture landscaping for their clients. They run workshops on radical homemaking. And you may have even seen Hannah on Gardening Australia. She's the one with pink hair who lives in the wild pink house in Hobart. Ben and I spend every Friday night watching her solve her little gardening problems on her property over our bowl of once weekly Indian takeaway food. So we are big, big Hannah fans in this household. And I'm just so delighted to have her on the show today. Here is my chat with Hannah. Hello and welcome. How has your week been? Oh, it's been okay. Thanks, Carly. Yeah. Yeah. So generally I like to start the episode with a recommendation of the week and then I will get you to give a recommendation of the week. So I'll go first. Mm. This week I recommend the booty motivate tights. Um, 
I'm constantly, constantly on the search for good exercise tights. And these completely tick every box. Like they don't fall down when I do burpees and all of that kind of stuff. They um, have, are you familiar with the app Good On You? No, I'm not. No. Oh, you would love it. It'd be all over. You'd be all over it. Yeah. So it's like it's an app that tells you whether or not the clothes you are buying are sustainable and ethical. And they have ratings for different systems of stuff mm-hmm. that you buy so that you know that, you know, you're not buying a pair of pants that, you know, from a factory that 10,000 Bangladeshi children died in a couple yeah. of years ago and that kind of stuff. So it's 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 just a really good app to just make sure that what you're buying is mm-hmm. ethical and sustainable. And Booty is one of those brands that are both of those. So big tick, their last line of workout where I had to return because they like fell down when I did my, my burpees and stuff. So yeah, these ones were really good. What is your recommendation of the week, Hannah? Well, I have listened to a great new podcast called, um, by, by rational fear. And, um, it's hosted by Julia Zamiro. Most people might know from Julia Zamiro, great comedian. And it's, it's so good. It's all about, um, activists who are working towards changing the system and, uh, how to be a good activist in the world and she's and she's kind of doing it over the next six months in the lead up to the Australian federal election and she's really good like she's a great communicator and she knows how to answer, ask the right questions and yeah it's rare that I'll I'll rave about a podcast but I've, I've recommended it maybe five times in the last day. <laughs> That's yeah. a perfect recommendation I love Julia Julia Zamiro she's um yeah because we used to live in Melbourne and she lived down the road from us so oh. I would like I'd wave her in the street all the time because it took me a while to realize that she didn't we didn't know each other I just knew her and yeah, yeah she, she was always really friendly but she was like yeah, I definitely don't know who you are. <laughs> So I have you on the show to talk about growing your own food and the concept of permaculture, but let's just cut straight to the chase. Most of what you're doing is as a result of climate change, right? Mm, Oh, hundred percent. So I learned about the climate emergency. I think when I was around 14, I started to really grasp the issue and was like, okay, the adults are going to fix this. She'll be right. Um, And then just watched over the next five years of um, my teenage years, just going, oh, they're not fixing it. (laughs) And just understanding how uh, we have to start um, living our lives to address this huge issue and help to counter it in any possible way. So it very much shaped everything my whole life and, and I made sure to do it in a way where I can live a really good life as well, even though it's so, um, centred on addressing really big and scary issues. It's like how can I still have a great life and with a full of love and joy and family and friends as well as being a committed activist, yeah. I've noticed that a lot of your stuff is based around politics and I know that that's a big thing that's coming up a lot at the moment with, you know, the the kind of the rise of everything being sustainable and, you know, stop using plastic straws and take your own cutlery everywhere. But the the, the new wave of uh, uh, this is not a new wave for you, I know, because I read your book, you've been um, politically minded about this since way back, uh, way mm-hmm. back when you first started getting interested in this. But the, there's a newer wave of, of I guess, kind of uh, sustainable influences that are saying, you know, this mm-hmm. is political. So how important is it to make sure that we're voting in the right people and getting that message out to people that that's the way to fix this oh it's hugely important and I and I really understand when some people say oh what's the point like nothing's going to change like and I because our track record shows nothing will change and so I really empathize with that perspective and I really advocate for people to reclaim our democracy and to you know in our upcoming federal election to vote for climate safe (laughs) policies 
And I'm really paying attention to an interesting newer movement called Voices for Movement, which is um, a movement of independents getting themselves elected with their community around Australia. And there's around 30 electorates who are registering for that kind of approach for the upcoming federal election. And they're, they're all very progressive policies and it's very interesting to have that um, movement away from the big parties and to, to go, okay, we people are recognising they're not working, they're not representing us anymore. How can we represent ourselves as a community and to get the voices that we need in Parliament so we can get those changes that we need. So when people say to me, why are you so political? I'm like, <laughs> well, why aren't we all so political, you know? It's a, it's a wonderful, well, Australia is a wonderful country despite all the, you know, all its flaws. We have a democracy that we can actually shape. So why not take that opportunity to do so? Yeah, absolutely. Our local member is independent for the first time in 90 years and, wow. uh, yeah, liberal before that for 90 years. So that's been a massive, massive thing for, for our local community. So, yeah, yeah, that's just a little interesting thing to throw in there. That was huge. It happened a few years before we moved to the northeast and we were like, whoa, that's great. Mm-hmm. That was just a really good omen for moving mm-hmm. to, you know, the, the place that we moved to. Yeah. Uh, so. With permaculture and homesteading, it does seem to be a a very popular uprising kind of cutesy thing that, you know, all the Instagrammers are doing and that kind of thing, rising in popularity. (laughs) I know it sounds so silly to say because it's been such a big thing for you for so long. Do you think that there is space for people to kind of half do this? I feel like because I moved from like Fitzroy in Melbourne to a very tiny town in the last couple of years. And I feel like people who live in cities get left out of this conversation quite a lot. And it also depends on the type of city that you live in. So Mm. when I lived in Melbourne, I really wanted to be a part of the no waste movement. And I was following all of these New Yorkers who were into no waste. And, you know, they had just these amazing, this amazing infrastructure in their little boroughs in Brooklyn and they had Mm. community compost. And I was like, oh, I'm going to look up my community compost. And it just wasn't community compost. So what, what, what can we do when we don't live in the country and we don't live in cities that support these kind of movements? And like, what do you do with your compost when you just yeah. live in a suburb and there's no, you can't compost and there's nowhere else to compost? Like what? Yeah, I think it's a great point you raised because most of Australia lives in big cities. Like that's where our population is actually centred. So we have to really start tackling this at a systemic issue, um, which isn't happening as a whole. Like some councils are more progressive than others, which is wonderful, and supporting things like community composting hubs where you can walk down with your little food scraps. That's what I was imagining in my head, like my little bunch of scraps, like but there just wasn't one. (laughs) Yeah, and so... In place of that not happening, it's like how can we have those conversations so that we can help that happen as a community member, as a citizen? You can go, okay, I know um, Carly down the road is interested as well We can, and we've got this verge or we have a spare garden or we have a balcony or there's a back alleyway. Uh, we can set up a worm farm. Or, and so it is very much taking, about, so taking some initiative around that. But going back to the beginning of the question, it's like, oh, can you half do homesteading? I'm like, hell yeah, you can do it like 1%, you know, like <laughs> whatever. And I think um, I have I have a great um, gratefulness, I guess, for some of the influencers on Instagram going hard, going, yeah, look at my amazing homestead, look, look how it's cranking. I'm like, awesome. Um, and then I think the other part of the conversation that needs to be up there side by side is that um, this is how you can do something I can do something of what I'm doing in the city or um, and doesn't matter if you don't do it perfectly because unfortunately I think some of those influences um, 
imply that you have to do everything or nothing. And if you don't do everything, then you're not good enough. And like, oh, what a waste you know, of an opportunity to communicate to people that doing something is awesome. And it doesn't it definitely does not have to be perfect. I don't do anything perfectly. I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to get rid of that kind of narrative, it's unhelpful. <laughs> it, it it really is, and I think I, I also don't even necessarily think that it's the fault of the influencers. I think when when a lot of people put this kind of content up on you know Instagram, let's face it, it is Instagram. Mm. I think it's the audience that take it upon themselves to to just follow that particular thing like right down to the letter and be really hard on themselves when they can't reach the levels that that influencer is putting out there but um yeah so can you give us three starting points for avoiding food waste um and growing or producing our own food at a very very beginner level possibly without a backyard or much of a backyard yeah so um, preventing food waste, the best thing that we can all do is that when we're at the shops or the markets is, is only buy what you need. Even when there's a sign that says buy two for the price of one, it's like, no, I actually only need one <laughs> because without fault, by the end of the week, you're in your fridge or the cupboard, you'll have that bread going moldy or, oh, that milk I didn't actually really need. That so, slimy bag of lettuce. Yeah, that slimy bag of lettuce. <laughs> and so that's like when people ask me, like, do that and that you save money as well as preventing food waste. Um, and the next thing is, uh, uh, you know, you might start learning a few skills about how to preserve food or you go, oh, look, that milk's about to go off. I can quickly make a simple cheese, which you just need vinegar or lemons with, you know, so preserving is really good. Um, and then, and oh, I had something else in my brain I was going to say, oh, you know, obviously we have a compost bin, but before we get to the compost bin, we learn how to do something else. I can't remember what I was going to say. Sorry. Oh, Kelly. is it like no? Is it? I, I think I think I might be able to guess what you're going to say. Is it the Sarah Wilson thing of like not being weird, like using the whole vegetable? Oh yeah, I'll yeah, that's, yeah. That's like she's because she's yeah. got a really great book that I read recently that's really good about like low food waste and stuff. The whole thing is just like quit being a princess about food and just mm. use all of it. Like if you yeah. don't have this herb, use a different herb. If it says lemon, use lime. Like use whatever you have in your house yeah. and and not chopping and like if you're cooking with broccoli chopping up the stalks and using that as well oh totally and that to me is a given I'm like of course mm. we should be doing that and the other thing is um like I, I, I love eating food so much and I have a slight um oh like bad vibe towards cookbooks which say you have to have the lime or have the paprika I'm like <laughs> yeah. no you just open the fridge open the pantry and that's what you use like, and you can sub out things accordingly and so I think getting, getting creative and just thinking a bit more freely rather than going oh but Otterlinga you said I needed these 16 spices yeah <laughs> like, I don't know right, what half the spices are when I, I read Otterlinga I'm like I don't know what that is do we have that right. yeah, I'm like- <laughs> so I think um relaxing a bit and going and being more flexible and trusting that what you make will be very nutritious and delicious regardless if it doesn't have that paprika or whatever is meant to be in it (laughs) yeah and also just like being less scared of cooking like I I'm not a I don't I do some content around food every now and then generally like whatever it is I'm talking about at that particular moment like at the moment it's gut health I'm really into gut health. Um, and I'll post a recipe. Well, not a recipe. I'll just post like a salad and go, this was a salad. And then people be like, a recipe, please. And I'm like, yeah. I chopped up all the stuff and put it in a bottle. <laughs> like, I, I, don't, I don't understand. Like, I don't get what, uh, what a salad recipe is. Like you, you take a photo of it and what's in the bowl, you put it in there. Like, yeah. it just, 
Everyone's so yep. scared of cooking. Just chuck some stuff in a bowl. See what happens. Mm, I once yep. put way too much peanut butter in a smoothie and it was terrible. And I just didn't <laughs> drink it and didn't do it again. Like it wasn't the end of the world. Yeah. I think, yeah, that, that being okay to experiment is a great quality, I think. Yeah. 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 So what are three things that you wish people would stop buying that are super easy for almost everyone to make at home? Oh, well, in terms of, I, I wish people would stop buying herbs because they're really expensive and they're really, most of them are super easy to grow. Like rosemary, you just like throw it at some earth and it will grow. <laughs> we, we have like rosemary bushes for the world in yeah. our garden and they just like, they're just there all year round. It's great. Yeah, totally. And I think um, so similarly with salad greens or so lettuces and different types of salad greens, they're, they're quite easy to make, uh, sorry, to grow when you have um, some reasonable soil and some good water. And again, they're quite expensive to buy and they often become slimy in the fridge when you're trying to store them for consecutive days. So um, herbs and greens are so, so great. And I think um, another one which is quite easy and which may not be on people's radar is like edible flowers. And, um, and that will be different depending where you live, but we grow lots of things like called calendula and borage and nasturtiums and they're beautiful and they're all, they'll just grow out of like the rock crevice up along the pathways and in the salads, they're delicious. Um, again, to buy them really expensive and they make a really gorgeous space in our garden. So they're the kinds of things that people may not even realise um, how easy it is. It's like, yeah, just have a crack. And, you know, obviously with the herbs, rosemary is the easiest, but so is oregano and thyme, like sages. They're so easy um, and you just need one bush and it will feed you forever. Hi, it's Carly just popping in to remind you to leave a review for the podcast if you haven't already. Please just go to the show page, not the episode page. Scroll down to the bottom and where it says leave a review, leave a review. I check reviews every week and honestly, they make my day. So thank you so much. If you haven't left a review, please don't stress. Honestly, we all signed up to our Apple accounts 10 billion years ago with email addresses that we don't even use anymore. And a lot of people have expressed their distress at not being able to do it. Honestly, don't worry about it. If you are able to, that would be wonderful. Thank you so much. This week's bonus is a list of amazing books, blogs, and Instagram accounts to follow. If you want to jump on the permaculture bandwagon, you can grab that by becoming a Patreon at patreon.com forward slash very excellent habits. Back to the interview. Yeah, but like we we don't touch it. We we inherited a herb garden when we moved here, and we haven't touched it. It's been it's been mm. so good. Just to, just to clarify, when you said calendula, yeah. have I been pronouncing that wrong and saying calendula? Oh, that is so sweet. Is of that you. wrong? I've been getting that wrong, haven't I? Yeah, <laughs> I love you for it. That's gorgeous. When you said that, I was like, I've been saying calendula. Oh. It's wrong. It's really calendula. Okay. <laughs> It's calendula, guys. So, yeah. Oh, cool. yeah uh, <laughs> just to throw that one out there. Yeah. So, what are three food producing plants that most people can very easily grow no matter where they are? Ooh, oh, well, it will vary depending on climate. But so, some like annual vegetables like tomatoes are really great. Potatoes, um, as you get to the tropics, you might start subbing out potatoes for like taro and sweet potato and there's a root crop, you know. I think it's nice to have. I love growing potatoes because I know it's like a complete protein. It's a mm. whole meal. It's like really substantial. Um, tomatoes because this is like the jewel of the garden. You know? They just but, oh, are just, like they're yeah. amazing. And I've got I've got a two and a half year old who would sell her soul for cherry tomatoes. So yeah. I'm just going to feed that obsession for as long as I can. Yeah. She'd be like more tomatoes. I'm like yes, sweet pea, have as many yeah. as you like. <laughs> 
Um, and I do love to grow like, it's like, like in terms of proteins, like growing beans as much as possible. And you can grow little bush bean plants. Again, they're quite simple. Um, of course, there's a whole world of perennial food crops as well, from fruit and nut trees to vegetables. But there's some of the easier ones that we can grow um, in most places. And depending on the climate, you might switch it out for different varieties. Yeah. So do you have that whole like feast and famine thing happening? Because you do most of your own growing of your own food. So when it comes to winter, are you like, you don't have a lot of stuff that's growing, obviously, because it's winter? We actually have a really full garden in winter. And so right now, actually, we're sort of in mid-spring here in Luchwita, Tasmania, um, is what we call our hungry period because we've ripped out all our winter crops and we have all our summer autumn crops in um, and they're all seeds or seedlings. And we have a few things that like we've got our broad bean crops and we've got, you know, we've got a few things on the go. Um, and we have lots of um, preserves that we preserved last summer that we can still eat through. Uh, but now is our hungry time just because of that transfer of crops. Um, but winter, we're like, we're eating so well, broccoli, cabbages, um, heaps of potatoes and pumpkins from autumn, you know. And it's now, it's, it feels weird because it's warming up and it's all spring yeah. It's like, oh, the garden's empty. <laughs> do, you, do you buy stuff in that season or not so much? Yeah, yeah, totally, yeah. yeah. No, we'll buy things. Um, well, like we're not self-sufficient at all. That's yeah. So we, we buy things um, as needed throughout the year, but now is a time where every week we'll buy some kind of um, fruit or vegetable, whereas yeah. for the rest of the year I might just buy fruit um, yeah. as needed, but veggies are very sorted, yeah. Yeah, fruit's hard because we live in a similar climate where we're subalpine, so, so it gets really quite cold and quite frosty mm. where I live, and fruit is just, it, it's a hard thing to get. We get berries over mm. um, summer and apples galore, but any mm. other fruit it's just there's just nothing like the yeah. butlers aren't going to grow where we live. No, so. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. And I, I, we have a six-year-old daughter, so we um, we used to try to just eat as locally as possible. But now my daughter's like, Mama, I want a banana. I'm like, sure. I understand if your kid asks for fresh fruit and vegetables, you get them, at, 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 like regardless of where it comes from. <laughs> I completely agree. And also you want to, you want to foster, like you don't want to raise your kid to not like bananas because bananas yeah. aren't local to you. And if you can get bananas, then do it. Like it's, yeah, it's good. Yeah. So can we talk about chickens? I feel like a lot of people have tried to do the chicken thing without success. So do you have any tips for keeping healthy egg producing chickens? Yeah, I guess um, we're, we're making animals. It's good to think about where they actually come from, where they originate from. And so, uh, chickens are a jungle bird traditionally so they oh want, wow yeah they want like shelter whether that's uh, man-made or an actual tree shelter they want to be under stuff and in stuff and they love um, lots of what we call deep litter so the forest floor is full of sticks and leaves and mulchy yummy things so in a chicken run like I dump tons of wood chips and straw so they can dig down um, a good you know a good foot or so so they can get bugs and slugs and have their dust baths and all these kinds of things contribute to um, health and well-being, and we make sure they've got a good house which is dry and they've got good nesting boxes, they've got friends, they've got company. So we just kind of have to map out what does this chicken need to thrive and not just survive, um, and is those is quite a few simple design things within that that you can do to create a gorgeous home for them. And once they're happy, they'll just start laying. And the other thing is 
if you're after egg, good egg layers, choose the breed which is good egg layers <laughs> rather than just fluffy little bantams which will lay an egg every three I months. Love <laughs> fluffy little bantams. We looked into it and we were like, we love the funny, silly looking looking chickens. Oh but everyone who lives in the country is like, no, nah, that's not. Yeah, like they're cute, but that's about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I really love the the book, the, the part in your book where you say the term self sufficiency makes you cringe, mm. and how you can easily get burnt out trying to do it all, and how you know, you can have these 12 hour days and just not actually have any chance to enjoy this wonderful life that you're creating. So how do you manage like the high demand lifestyle with all of the other things? Yeah, I guess, um, well, you know, the, the opposite to self-sufficiency is a term called community sufficiency. And, and that's something that's a beautiful concept where you don't have to do everything yourself, but within your region or with your state or territory or uh, within Lutruata or island, we can meet our own needs together and, and that can be informally or, you know, formally through business and trade. And that once you've got your own local resilience sorted, then you can then share your surplus or sell or trade your surplus. And so it's not about having your borders down and going, yeah, it's us against the world. It's about making sure you have a robust economy and um, social systems locally, and then you can um, participate in the global economy as well in an ethical way. So it's not a, it's a, it's a, it's a different mentality about making sure local resilience first, then you can all connect later. Um, and so that's, but yeah, I do have quite a busy life here. And so, but that concept of community sufficiency helps my brain go, yeah, I'm not trying to do everything here in my homestead. I'm trying to do as much as I can, as in many places as I can. So a lot of my work is very much around social uh, community change projects. Um, and I garden on the weekend and I, I, I do, I end in the morning and the evenings with my goats and the animals and things like that. But um. I'm not actually a full-time gardener. People think, oh, you're just frolicking around <laughs> in the garden. I'm like, not, not it, really. <laughs> it does look like that, I will admit. <laughs> I, I do spend a lot, like I, I probably am in the garden more than I have just mentioned, but um, my, my heart is really in the community. Like I really, my partner Anton and I, we have a beautiful, good life here, but we recognise that it's not good enough unless we can help other people to have um, their own version of that, which doesn't always involve having a garden, but it's about having social justice environmental justice at the forefront of how we live so um yeah my heart is very much beyond my fence line yeah yeah oh I love that yeah. <laughs> speaking of that this brings me on to my next question brilliantly I love that you talk about connection to first nations people uh in regard to permaculture and can you talk us through some of the things that we can do to support first nations people mm. in Australia mm. on our journey in permaculture and I just wanted to take this opportunity to point something out I have been wanting for ages to put an address to country at the beginning of this podcast and name the Indigenous land on which I record, but where I live is disputed land amongst First Nations people. So I'm researching the name of the country I live on and I'm, I'm still trying because I don't want to say the wrong one. So I'm still doing the research of what mm. my, my country is called. So a, a big apology. I have been meaning to do that and I'm still working on it, but it, it yeah. will be there. Um, but yeah, over to you, Hannah, how do we yeah. support First Nations people in um, in our, our quest to have a, a more beautiful connection with our earth? Yeah. And I think um, part of that's educating ourselves and knowing whose country you live on. So we live on Milwaukee country down here in Nipaluna Hobart and Lichuita, the island of Tasmania, and just um, integrating that into your everyday language so it becomes normal because it should be normal. Um, That's what I'm trying to do. I want yeah, to do it so badly. No, you're doing great, Carly. <laughs> yeah. and, and, you know, the, and part of what you're doing is like just learning and listening and, and going through those processes, which is important. 
And uh, we, I work really hard, which is an imperfect process, I must say, about how do we centre First Nations people in the climate emergency conversation because uh, the, we, we have frontline communities in climate emergency and a lot of those people are First Nations people and they feel those impacts most. And, and so we have to be able to centre those people in the conversation. And, of course, in permaculture, um, it's draws on First Nations communities globally around strategies and strategies and techniques for how to live well with the earth. So it's, it's critically important we acknowledge that those origins within permaculture if you're educating or practising that yourself. Um, so I, some really practical ways I do that in our personal life is we pay the rent, which is a term that some people may have heard of, where we give a monthly donation to a local Aboriginal organisation with no strings attached. We just go, we support your self-determination. We understand you're doing great work within your community. Here is um, a monthly donation, which we'll do forever. Yeah. So that's, that's a, and, and recognising that we live on their unceded lands. So we are paying rent to live here. Um, so that's a really uh, simple thing that we can do, which is a, a positive thing. Um, we make sure we, in my permaculture work, I do a lot of teaching. That, so I centre First Nations origins of permaculture in, in the teaching and um, acknowledge their, that we stand on their very broad and beautiful shoulders. That's really important and highlight things. There is a risk in permaculture, and this does not speak to the originators um, of permaculture, Dave Hongram and Bill Mollison, who have done some fantastic work around that. It's, it speaks more broadly the permaculture community across the world where there can be some whitewashing going on where we take um, First Nations, wrap it up and present it as new information. That's not cool. <laughs> I, com I completely agree. I'm, yeah. I'm learning all about that now at the moment in the yoga yeah. community. And there was a, a podcast yeah. I was listening to and they were talking about the whitewashing of things like, you know, yoga and wellness and quinoa and all of that kind of stuff. So it's something I'm, I'm really clocking into at the moment. Yeah. So I think it's um, really important to, to, be aware of that and then to use whatever space that you work or live in like to go okay let's keep centering this this conversation around first nations people i really believe with the climate emergency that when we do that we will start to shape our way of life a lot differently and the solutions will be um potentially a bit more unique than just technology and taxes <laughs> about how do we actually move through these times and i think it'll be centered Oh, I can't speak on behalf of First Nations people, obviously. <laughs> I think there'll be some good conversation around how we are with the earth and how that looks like in a sustainable way. So, um, But as a white person, I'm really committed to just speaking about it and normalising it as much as possible, knowing that I'm going to make some mistakes every now and then because I don't know everything, obviously. Um, and I'm, I think the more we talk about it, the more we normalise it, the more culture can change and the more opportunity we have to have these conversations with anybody and everybody. Yeah. Yeah, that's perfect. Um, so can, can we talk a little bit about community and ideas for sharing amongst neighbours? So I'm very, very new to country life, but country kids have it sorted. Like, you know, we already co-own a trailer with a neighbour and we have like a bunch of tools with him as well. Can you give some of the, the city kids ideas for, you know, community and, and sharing and that kind of thing when potentially you don't actually know your neighbours like I didn't when I lived in Fitzroy? Oh, sure. Like something we did, which was sparked by the beginning of COVID last year was we set up a, what we call a food share stand, which was an old bookshelf with a roof over it. <laughs> and it was a place where we could put um, surplus veggies from our garden and anybody could come and take for free. And then other people could do the same. So it's like a little mini free shop on the footpath. 
And that was, that's, and it still is going to this day, day. And it's been a really positive thing for people to engage with. Um, and it speaks to what kind of community that we are as well. It shows people that we care about each other, even if we don't know each other, which is nice. Um, there's lots of other things which um, people can do or join in, like crop swaps or food share gatherings where you'll come together usually on a weekly basis and just swap things from your garden, which is lovely. And something that we do with people we know, some friends around the corner, is that we share a car. We share their car around the corner. So we don't own a car. We have a car share with Jodie and Marty. <laughs> and, and we have an online calendar which we can just book in when you need it and I just walk around and pick it up when I need it. And I actually love um, living in a city. It's a small city in Nipaluna, Hobart, but it's so many resources at our fingertips when we just start to ask. People actually love sharing. Um they, they love to offer things. They, they find it harder to ask for things. Definitely, yeah. I, I, I'm still learning that too. Um, but, I, you know, I asked my friends, can we share your car? They're like, yes. <laughs> I'm <laughs> delighted. Amazing. <laughs> so I think, um, you know, oh, I haven't got a vacuum cleaner here. I share my sister's vacuum cleaner around the corner. <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> so, like, I really love not having unnecessary stuff. I'm like, I reckon I could share something in my community or I could either have something here to share or I can share someone else's thing. Um, so I really encourage people to tap into their friend or in family communities and networks to go, oh, what can we share here? Or start a community, which, which may be as simple as that food share stand I mentioned where you don't actually ever have to gather together, but you've got a, you've got a beautiful, tangible um, checkpoint where people can come and go from. Um, so I think there's some really nice things we can do. And I'm really keen to bring back the community notice board <laughs> i love a community notice board yeah they're still around like in shop windows you'll see people advertising or looking for things but back in the day before the internet the, like the community notice board was like was where it's at and you just went there and you just hung out and you saw it was you know who was doing what and what was happening um and last week when um we had a big social media crash and it was out maybe for half a day yes like, facebook went down yeah yeah and I was, which was kind of a beautiful silence i loved it i was <laughs> actually I thought, really oh. i was super proud because i'm being really low on social media at the moment and trying to only be on on wednesdays and i've been so good i missed it i didn't even know it happened oh, like that's how so not good. social media i've been this week i was like yes i didn't even know facebook was down for eight hours <laughs> Well done, Carly. Yeah. Thank you. I just I needed to share that with the group. <laughs> but like, you know, those, those are the things I think about. I'm like, yeah, bring back the community notice board, um, get to know your, your neighbours and your community and then, you know, use the community that you already do have as well. Yeah. We actually do like because our, our town is really, really tiny and we do have a community notice board that's really quite active because we have a, um, a post office that's actually run on a volunteer basis. So we don't, no one in my town has letterboxes. You have to go to the post office to pick up your mail and it's run on volunteer. So it's open for two hours in the morning and two hours in the afternoon and it's it's community run. Um, but yeah, the, the, the notice board is there and is thriving because a lot of very yeah. elderly people live where I live and they don't do the phones and things. So they need to no. know about all the stuff with the, you know, community notice board and stuff. So it's actually, yeah, it's marvelous. I'm yeah. I'm a huge advocate for the community. Notice board. <laughs> Bring it on. So yeah. I like to finish the show with a segment called kicked my ass and kick ass where we both share something yeah. we struggled with this week and also something that we rocked at. So I will kick off with kicked my ass. 
last last week, it, I mean, I'm laughing, but it's quite dreadful. A lot of people I know and love had really scary health issues. So like everyone's fine. It's completely fine. But I got a text message like every second day about someone's wife going to hospital or someone just like collapsing out of nowhere. So I'm just, mm. just my message to the world this week is to just take care of yourself and listen to your bodies and just no more fainting. Like can everyone just yeah. stay on their feet and not <laughs> panic their family members that that would be amazing. That's just my little, please do this for me oh. this week. So uh, yeah. Hannah, what's yours? What, what kicked your ass this week? Well, look, it's a bit more removed from my personal um, networks here, but I think what kicked my ass uh, this past week is um, politics, just watching the politics a little bit. I, I try to censor it just so I can, don't go crazy, but this week I've been paying a lot of attention. I'm like, wow, it's really crazy. <laughs> Yeah, it's just, are you talking in particular reference to New South Wales maybe? Uh, like nationally, like I think, um, you know, yes, New South Wales has got some interesting things on the go, but just yeah. what's happening with the lead up to um, COP26 in Glasgow with um, Scott oh. Morrison potentially not even going to the global climate talks and um, see, watching the National Party try, start to, um, uh, I don't know, brainstorm solutions for the coal industry, which includes giving them potentially $250 billion. I'm like, no, 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 no. Yeah, it's like, really? Are we still are we still having this conversation? Yeah. Just so that that really kicked my ass. I was like, come on, come on, people. Oh, I also read last week about this couple in Melbourne who have gone full solar, full electric, and they're suing the Victorian government for putting um taxes on them. Like you have to pay if you have if you're an electric car driver in Australia. I think it might just be in Victoria. I'm not totally across the details, sure. but they're but they're it's like a um it's like a tax for driving on the roads. And they're like you've mm. got to be kidding me. You are mm. taxing me for making the best climate decision. And it's really expensive to get electric cars in yeah. Australia. There's yeah. no kickbacks. There's no incentive to do it. Not you easy. have to. It's really not. And then just like, and we're being punished for it. It's just like, it's just mm. mind blowing reading things like that. And you're thinking, you know, you, you are not only are you not taking affirmative steps, but you're putting a block in front of the people that are making affirmative steps. Yeah, it's mind-blowing. So I think it's like, you know, got to keep the positivity and keep our, our eyes forward and moving forward. But occasionally I just stand still and shake my head. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Just like, oh, what are you doing? So my, uh kicked ass this week, the thing I was really good at was that last week I had a really, really properly productive week and I got so much stuff done and I feel like it's been over a year since that happened. So it was just really nice. Like I just got heaps of things done. It was good. So well what? <laughs> thank you. What did you kick ass at this week? Mate, I totally nailed school holidays. I just was hanging out with my daughter. I just went deep into relaxo mode and we just like faffed around and I just, don't want to leave and <laughs> I didn't want to leave today's the first day of her school going back and I was like oh bummer <laughs> oh that's that's lovely so I've got I've got a two and a half year old so holidays for me are still in that toddler phase of just trying to tire her out so I'm very oh, yeah. much <laughs> very much looking to looking forward to the time when like spending a full day with my daughter is just incredibly relaxing and restorative yeah. rather than like hiking her up a hill so that she sleeps well tonight yeah I hear, I hear. We've, I've been there hey <laughs> thank you for being the beacon on the other side <laughs> so thank you so much for coming on the show Hannah uh, and if you would like to read Hannah Hannah's stunning book is called The Good Life and you can buy it basically everywhere because I see it literally everywhere. Thank you, Hannah. 
Oh, thanks for having me, Carly. Lovely chat. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening to Very Excellent Habits, the podcast that helps you create little habits for a big life. I'm Carly Jacobs. You can find me on Instagram at Very Excellent Habits, and you can also email me contact at carlyjacobs.com. You can also record a question for me to answer on the show at speakpipe.com forward slash Very Excellent Habits. I had a lovely little bank of these saved up for this season, and now I'm totally out, so I need some more. So if you want to cringe at hearing your voice on your favorite podcast, hop to it. This week's bonus is a list of amazing books, blogs, and Instagram accounts to follow. If you want to jump on the permaculture bandwagon, you can grab that by becoming a Patreon at patreon.com forward slash very excellent habits. And one more thing, please leave a rating and a review. Thank you so much for those of you who have been leaving them. It absolutely makes my day until next time. Remember little habits, big life.